my dad is the first ever return guest on this podcast. He's a huge movie buff and has been the main influence on my own love for movies over the years. This episode, we talked about his favorite drama, King's Row. It focuses on a small town and a group of friends as their lives go in different paths over the years, all influenced by long hidden secrets in the town. Mental illness, greed, murder, suicide, sadistic doctors performing surgeries on, quote, wicked people, etc. And it starred a young Ronald Reagan. Now, what'd you get it, like on Netflix? You can buy it on uh, Google. Oh, you you mean buy it? They'll send you a DVD? No, to, like, stream it. So uh, just watch it right away. Oh, yeah. So I was able to... James slept in our room last night, so I watched it downstairs. And that's the first time you saw it, right? Mm-hmm. First time ever. Wow. I loved it. Did you? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Good. Because I was, that was curious how you were going to uh, view it. Uh-huh. The first half was, I was lukewarm on it, the first third. Uh-huh. Because uh, the first third, like in the first third, they tell you what happened to uh cassie and her dad yeah and i was shocked yes 1943 and a murder suicide from uh main characters right right well the book the book was a best-selling and the book was even more daring right but they couldn't uh really be faith faithful completely to the book because some of it was just they couldn't put on the screen Mm -hmm. today they could you know but not then right when was the first time you saw it oh gosh i guess maybe in the early 1960s uh was on uh was like one of those late show presentations with the commercials Mm -hmm. you know and uh you know which you don't have on turner classic movies now right but uh, that uh, that movie just blew me away. It had an emotional effect on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I always like to say, it just grabbed me by the throat. And I said, oh, my gosh, this is a great movie. And through the years, uh, I usually watch it about once a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never get tired of watching it, really. It felt like a very... Uh because I watched, I can't remember if I spoke to you, but since the last time we spoke, uh, one of my friends, Chuck, wanted to watch the movie Marty. Oh, yeah. With Ernest Borgnine. Yes. So I watched that for the first time this year. Did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that Wasn't as well. Wasn't that something? Yeah. Yeah, Patty Chayefsky. He was a great playwright and screenwriter. After that movie, Amanda, I think after around that same time, I, we, Amanda and I watched Altered States for the first time. The horror movie that he wrote. I never, never saw that. It's horrifying. And it took no. place in the 80s and it was really, a man and I watched it. Uh, it it's about this guy who experiments with the deprivation tanks mm-hmm. and he like kind of travels psychedelically into different areas and he envisions himself as like a Neanderthal or the first man. And then during this process, he, he feels like he's becoming the first man and then eventually at one point in the movie he opens the tank and he is that like neanderthal man wow. and he escapes into the wild hmm. and after the movie a man and i were like shocked like what did we just watch jeez we also we just bought the book that he wrote no kidding mm-hmm. 
Now, who was the uh, star of that movie? Starring William Hurt. Oh. William Hurt was in it. The Oscar like, winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should watch it. Yeah. But Marty, but Marty I really enjoyed, too. Yeah. Uh, what, Ernest Borgnine. It was so realistic, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Jeez. I mean, so true to life. Yeah. And uh, I, I was single for a, while, a good while, and I could identify... Mm-hmm. You know, with some of the things he was going through. Right. Yeah. How old were you when you met mom in the convent? Oh, gosh. Well, she wasn't in the convent then. Right. Yeah. Oh, she she had just come out? She was away from the convent for two years, but I was 33. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Time flies. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the King's Row, it's a very, as you know, it's a somber. Mm Mm-hmm. Very somber Extremely somber. And, uh, but haunting. Yeah. It's got a haunting quality to it. I went at the, I actually went in, because I remember when you first started talking about King's Row, I thought it was like a war movie or something, oh, yeah. or something <laughs> yeah. about knights. Mm-hmm. And even then, when I watched it last night, I didn't even read the synopsis. Mm-hmm. So I was shocked that um, it was essentially about these like five people from the town and yes. in the small town, how the town uh, has so many secrets. What, go, what goes greed. on behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. And how the lead characters, their lives are turned upside down, with mm-hmm. the exception of maybe Paris, the doctor. Yeah, yeah he's... Uh, I thought Robert Cummings did a great job in that part. I don't think he got enough credit for it. And uh, I don't think he was like even nominated for an Academy Award. Mm. But he had the perfect personality for that. And there's uh, so many touching scenes, like between well, he, uh, him and his grandmother. Right. You know, the affection they had for one another. Mm-hmm. And uh, his, the, the, the affection that he displayed towards his grandmother and towards Ronald Reagan's character. Uh, yeah, what was the... Uh, Drake, Drake. Drake. Drake McHugh. It was very uh, Broadway-ish or stage show where it was almost overly affectionate. Because yeah, there was a few scenes yeah. where he and Drake were so close that I was, I was wondering if in the original novel, like they had like a love affair oh, too, yeah. <laughs> because they were so affectionate mm-hmm. to each other. But yeah. I guess it's of the time mm-hmm. in the film. But the the first third of the movie, it's just them kind of going through life, and they're going. He Paris is going off to school in Vienna to become a doctor, mm-hmm. and he's being trained by his childhood girlfriend's father who's a doctor yes um and his fr- his best friend Ronald Reagan is trying to marry a hoity-toity family's daughter right and they don't approve of him right and because of his reputation as a playboy right yeah, yeah. wild they called him a few times mm-hmm. and then at some point during the movie i i kind of was like not even paying attention. I was like, what's going on in this movie? Nothing's really happening. And then Drake and Paris are hanging out. I don't know. Maybe they're about to go out that night with Cassie uh, because the doctor that's training him, he kind of just keeps Cassie behind closed doors. He put her into homeschooling. So the only right. time he ever has seen Cassie in years is when he goes to, to learn from the doctor mm-hmm. and the mother is, uh, has, passed at this time she was like she had some kind of strange illness she was at, at, well mental she was mentally she had like Ill. dementia and i think he said insane or mm-hmm. whatever and 
Remember that? Oh, you only saw her look out the window that one scene, right? And she looked pretty scary. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> and so Drake uh, he, uh, tells Paris, he's like, "Hey, we, we can't go out tonight. I just got news. Cassie is dead. Yes, the father killed her, and then the father mm-hmm. killed himself. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked. I couldn't yeah. believe that this was happening in a 1940 <laughs> yes. movie. I was right. like, "What am I watching right now? What was the reaction like back then?" Yeah, it's well, I know my reaction, mm-hmm. you know, because I was aware that this movie was made like around 1942 or so. And uh, the father of Cassie was one of my favorite actors, Claude Rains. Mm. Great, great character actor. And he's he uh, agreed to uh, tutor Paris Mitchell for his studies before he goes off to uh, you know to this college in Vienna mm-hmm. Paris looks at him like a a father figure because he never really had a father figure and he he's like a hero to him and vice because versa because he's so smart yeah and the one scene that I always remember is like uh, Paris completes his tutoring session with the with Claude Rains the doctor and uh and Claude Rains tells uh, Paris Mitchell, uh, you know, I uh, I started this thing with some doubts, but I really enjoyed it, our sessions together. And uh, as Paris gets his books together and is leaving, and Claude Rains t- turns to him and, sa- and says, if I had a son... I'd want him to be as close to you as as possible. Mm-hmm. And Robert Cummings looks at him, and I and he can't believe that he hears this from his hero. Yeah. And I thought that was a great scene because you know Claude Rain, and because you realize the life that Claude Rains has because his wife is insane, he really can't have a decent practice, and he's. I actually isolated in that house with his daughter, who he sees signs of the symptoms that he saw in his own wife that she's becoming slowly insane too. Mm-hmm. But what an acting performance by Claude Rains. Yeah. Robert, or not Robert Cummings, Paris eventually digs into the father's notes and says yes. that the reason he did that, it was he, he was discovering the signs in his own daughter. And yeah you're led to believe that he didn't want Paris to go through what he did and meaning right, not able to succeed it. in his practice, yeah. have to take, take care of his wife and lead kind of like a dark life, which is, is still dark. Yeah. He, he still killed his own daughter and then himself. But I, I still think there could have been other ways. To, <laughs> you know, I, sure. It was drastic. A little yeah, bit yeah, too drastic. drastic. And uh, she, she did. I want right before that, uh, reveal. I was wondering to myself because Cassie seems a little weird. She's a little yeah, too energetic, yeah. or yeah. she's too emotional. Hyper. Yeah, she's very yeah. hyper. And I was wondering mm-hmm. if that was on purpose. And then eventually, you kind of t- determined that it was. So many. Uh, and how about that scene too, where uh, Paris comes back to be with his friend because he heard what happened to Ronald Reagan because Mm. of this sadistic doctor who needlessly amputated both of his legs and uh, 
Anne, Anne, what was her name? Uh, Anne Sheridan, the one who marries Randy. Randy, she has this correspondence with. Uh, oh, that was tremendous. I yeah, thought. Paris Mitchell. I and get, he tells I, her, don't do this, don't do that, try to do this to keep his spirits up. I guess we should explain too that part because the movie, after Paris, after it happens in Paris, the movie shifts towards Drake and mm-hmm. his future wife, Randy. Randy lives like literally on the other side of the tracks where right, I've never right. seen, you've heard people say they, they live on the other side of the tracks, but this is the first time I've ever seen someone literally and <laughs> physically live on the other side yeah. of the tracks, meaning that they were yeah. poor and Drake falls in love with her. Um, and then unfortunately for Drake, who he's an orphan, but he gets kind of like, um, money put into yes. his account every yes. month. He finds mm-hmm. out that the person who owned the bank has been stealing that money and ran off. So now Drake is poor. That changes his whole life. Mm -hmm. He was kind of like uh, on the up and up playboy rich guy. Right. So now he doesn't have to worry about that kind of relationship dynamic because now he and Randy are the same. So he unfortunately has to get a job working at the train yard. And then one night some uh, cylinder blocks collapse on him. And he's rushed to have surgery from the town doctor who earlier in the movie... Paris asked Cassie's father, uh, because this doctor was taking care of his grandmother, and he asked the doctor, like, I've seen, I've read all of his surgeries, something always goes wrong in his surgeries, is he okay to take care of my grandmother? And the doctor says, in this case, yes. Yes. It was very carefully worded, too. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you find out from Drake's ex-girlfriend, who's the daughter of this doctor who's performing these surgeries, that she thinks he is taking it upon himself to have these surgeries because there's wickedness in these people. Yes. So he, it turns out that this doctor is a sadistic person and he amputates Ronald Reagan's legs and didn't have to. Right. How, it was insane. Yeah. And there were doctors like that. Mm, really? You know, yeah. I guess there would have had to have been. Mm-hmm. And you notice too, uh, when uh, Cla- uh, Claude Rains was uh, tutoring Robert Cummings... Uh, a lot was discussed about, well, uh, mental illness. Yeah, you psychiatry. Know, psychiatry, which in 1905, when the story took place, was just coming into its own. And Claude Rains made some uh, interesting observations where he said... You should pay some attention to the 12th and 13th centuries. No man's discomfort, his real discomfort in this world, began not long after then. I, I always... Oh, I know, yes. Soap, <laughs> macadamized roads, dentistry, and freedom of speech. Yes, yes, sir. Negligible factors. In the 13th century, man was happier and more comfortable in his world than he is now. I'm speaking of psychic man and his relation to his whole universe. Yeah, I get it, sir. Uh, everything was so, so simple then. Uh, that was it, Paris, that was it. But now, in this modern, complicated world, man breaks down under the strain, the bewilderment, disappointment, and disillusionment. Gets lost, goes crazy, commits suicide. I don't know what's going to happen to this world in the next hundred years or so, but I can guarantee you life isn't going to get any simpler. No worry and doubt bring on a bellyache. Mankind's building up the biggest psychic bellyache in history. And he was predicting, he said, uh, Paris, I don't know where this is going to end, but... I think mankind will eventually start going crazy. <laughs> well, yeah, he, and he, he, and he's so ch- and that, and what's happening today because uh, of technology and this and that and things are getting more 
complicated. A man is kind of losing himself. And boy, and that, and I, I thought to myself, you know, <laughs> when you look at things today, how how prophetic that was. According, like a few years, I don't know if this is still true, but according to a few years ago, there was a report by the American Medical Association that the number one disability in the United States is mental illness. Mm. And it's not really talked about that much or publicized It's still that very much. taboo for people to... Yeah, I mean, when you consider the drug problem that's, that's happening today, too, that's all part of it. Mm-hmm. People don't like to speak up about it. Still, I, I mean, still a hundred years after, more than a hundred years after psychiatry became a thing, and that's right. It's still considered uh, to they, be kept quiet. They uh, they say today uh, things are more open, and uh, things are uh, one one good thing about today's society is everybody uh, things that have been hidden or talked about, and c- people are communicating better. But that's one area that's still not talked about too mm-hmm. much. One of the parts that I really enjoyed, because Paris goes to Vienna to become a psychiatrist. He yes. eventually yes. decides that this is his calling after pretty much what happened with Cassie. Mm-hmm. Um, but he corresponds with Randy. He finds out that his friend Drake has lost his legs. Right. And he's kind of lost the will to do anything. And he, I really liked how this scene played out because he corresponds with Cassie and says, I need you to do exactly as I say yes, and don't veer from these plans because right. he essentially is giving psychiatric treatment to Drake by way of Randy. Mm-hmm. And he gives him, he gives him some money because he's got this estate that was left yes, to him by the grandmother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who was, you know, you know, she, she came from society for sure. By the way she lived. Yeah. And, um, I loved how their little plan played out on how they would word certain things to Drake about, you know, why don't you put this money into your plan for yes. building these mm-hmm. these houses for people? And they knew exactly how we would react and what to, what buttons to press so that he would do it to yeah. to become more comfortable in life. The scene where uh, Randy and uh, Paris they know that that uh, not that Randy and Drake they know that Paris is coming home, and there's a great anticipation. They can't wait for him to come and that scene where he comes in Paris comes into the house goes up the steps to see his friend Drake and Drake is laying in bed you know with no legs and he's waiting for his best friend to come he looks at him and then he turns away you know yeah he does that yeah and then he and then Randy closes the door and says Mary blessed mother of God She's so happy that Paris has finally come to see. She had she has this big smile on her face. Wasn't that a great scene? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great acting by Anne Sheridan. She was amazing in this movie. The, the parts that because Ronald Reagan's character Drake, uh, when life is too much for him in these scenes, he turns his head to the side. Right, and he's like I can't deal with this anymore. Yeah, and that becomes a theme throughout the movie until the end. Uh, which we could get to because Paris at that point, he's back in town to visit and there's like an assumption that he'll become the town doctor, but he's like, ah, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't have plans to stay here. Right. But uh, Louise's mother, the, I think it was the Gibsons. Dr. Gibson was the sadistic doctor. Right. 
Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Gibson says, you need to take a look at my daughter. She's crazy. She stays in her bedroom and at, she didn't even go to the father's funeral and over his dead body, she cursed him. Yes. <laughs> so you, it, Paris goes to see her and Louise tells him, she's like, I, I discovered that he had these surgeries on people that didn't need it because he thought it was the right thing to do. And it shocks Paris because it means Drake didn't have to lose his legs, you know, and then Louise, Louise's mental health is contingent on this news coming out and Paris is conflicted because it'll destroy Drake. Right. And he could easily have her committed right. to an insane asylum. Mm-hmm, because that's what her father yeah, and threatened with, her with. Yes. And he thinks about it. And he, th- he actually considers it to protect Drake. But then uh, when he starts talking with that girl that he met. Elise, I think her name might have yeah. been. Oh, Karen Vern was her real name. And I thought, oh, she was perfect in that part too. What a great acting job she mm-hmm. did. Because her and her father bought his grandmother's house. And Paris is, uh, he doesn't know this at, at this particular time in the movie, but he's taking a, a walk, a nostalgic walk through these fields on his way to this pond where he used to play with Cassie uh, when they were young. That's a great scene, too, because mm-hmm. the willow trees are there, uh, the branches are hanging, and it kind of obscures his vision to the pond, but he's looking through the willow leaves, and he sees this girl in this white dress who lo- who looks like Cass- Cassie the, the last time he saw her. And he actually believes it is her. So he starts rushing towards her. And then the girl turns around and he can see that it isn't Cassie. But that's when he starts his friendship with her, mm-hmm. who lives in the house where, where he used to live as a boy. As, that was not a great scene. It too. was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, their and, scenes and the, were all very good together. Yes. And he says, oh, Par- you must be Paris Mitchell. Oh, why we live in your house? Go, oh, come on! We, you have to see the house, and what a great relationship between the two of them! You can see the sparks flying there, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and she's from Vienna, I think. Too. Yes, she has an accent. Yeah, because her father uh, is a professor or something yeah. that came into the area, and uh, she's taken piano lessons. And he's an accomp- he's a pretty good uh, pianist, and he tells her, gives her hits, hints, you know, and what to do and and then he's she convinces him to stay for dinner and they have a nice dinner and then he it's time for him to leave and and she looks at him and he looks at her and he said she says oh paris you will come back to visit and he says yes often then she turns to her father because she is so happy that he's going to come back, and he she he gives she gives her father a big kiss and a hug. Mm. You can see this expression of almost ecstasy that she found the person that yeah. she always wanted to find, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's when she t- uh, when he tells her of, of his emotions, how conflicted they are because he doesn't know whether to put. Louise in the insane asylum, so she won't say why his uh, Drake's legs were amputated, and and then 
or but she says, Paris, uh, don't you think you're you're too close to Drake? And that's why you can't make a decision. What if Drake was just a patient that you didn't have these feelings for? What would you do? And that's when the light bulb goes on. Mm. And he says, you're right. You're right. I have to tell Drake what happened to him. Yeah, he's, and then he says, I have to go right now. He runs, yeah, and he's yeah, like, he if runs, I don't come yes, back, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and what a scene. I, I was like trembling in fear when he ran up to Drake's bedroom yeah, yeah. because at this point, Randy knows yeah, he told she Randy, tries, she tries to stop him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he tells Drake to get ready because I'm about to tell you like the biggest news mm-hmm. you've ever heard. Yeah. And I started like crying because I was scared of what the reaction was going to be. And, and he, he even recites the poem from Invictus. I don't think I remember all the words. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. I don't know if you can take it, Drake. Give it to me. Dr. Gordon cut off your legs. I don't know if it was necessary. He was that kind of butcher who thought he had a special ordination to punish transgressors. With you, he had a double incentive because of Louise. Heaven knows what else. The caverns of the human mind are full of strange shadows. But none of that matters. The point is, he wanted to destroy you. Oh, not literally. He wanted to destroy the Drake McHugh you were. He wanted to see you turn into a lifelong cripple, mentally as well as physically. That's all there is, Drake. Now, if you turn your face to that wall... Oh, great! He, how he's he's he had the probably the best reaction he probably could have. He he took it as almost like a challenge to show yes. everyone what he's capable of because at this point he hasn't even left his bed. Right, right. And he tells everyone that I'll sh- I'll show everyone what I can do. I'm going to get mm-hmm. out of this bed and we're gonna I'm going to show everyone. I'm going to par- parade around town and mm-hmm. show people what I can do. They, th- anybody who's lost their legs or limbs should watch this movie for inspiration. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, or was disabled in any way. Oh, that, and then when Paris realizes that that w- that he made the right decision, he runs back to his to the girlfriend, yeah, to the girl that he recently met. What was her name? Oh, I think it was Elise. Elise, yeah. And they meet Elise. in the in the yard. Right. Like they embrace. Run, she's running yes. from the house. She's running to him. And I think that's how it ends too, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And I, we should also say he he told Louise, he comes to, to tell Drake the news. He's like, I just told Louise yeah. to go tell everyone about her right. father, but I'm yes. about to tell you. That was a part of our deal. I got she, to tell she you. She can shadow from the rooftops if she wants. Right. Remember when he comes, uh, when Paris first comes back, before uh, and after he sees Drake, he goes in to talk to uh, the guy who wants to for him to stay Harry Davenport the guy the white beard oh, the, great, uh, another great character actor mm-hmm. who played the grandfather in Meet Me in St. Louis oh wow yes hmm. and but when Drake be, but even before that he re, uh, when uh, Paris gets the news about the murder suicide 
and Harry uh, and Harry Davenport, who's the, the lawyer, the old lawyer, the judge, is talking to the sadistic doctor who is like examined the bodies or whatever, and he uh, and he tells uh, the do- the doctor says, "Oh, I have to tell you something about the girl. Didn't you get the uh, the notion?" But he never does say anything because he's interrupted that Cassie was pregnant. Really? Yes. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Yes. He says, oh, there's something about the girl. And then mm. he's interrupted or something. And they couldn't, because of the way things were in 1942, you know, they didn't want to say, well, she's pregnant. Right, yeah. But that, that's the inference that I got. Mm. Yes. Yeah, because some of the some of the other what would like the dark scenes, they kind of tap danced around where you yes, kind of have to infer yes. and read between the lines of what they're talking about. Now, another great thing about this movie that added so much to the movie itself was the film score, the oh, music yeah. score, which I thought was just great. I think it's the best film score in a dramatic film. Because it was written by this German composer, Eric Korngold. He was a classical composer who Warner Brothers brought from Germany to, uh, to do their scores. And he did the, cla- the music for The Adventures of Robin Hood your with other, Earl Flynn. One of your other top movies. And the historical epics like, as a great historical adventure film called The Seahawk. And the, the music for that is great. I had it on an album of all his film scores. I might still have it, but it's on uh, the... Uh, Final? 33 and a third. Hmm. And he did that, and he did some other films. Great. Oh, now Voyager... He did for, when, for Betty Davis, I think, and her classic movie. And uh, if you ever watch Robin Hood again, pay attention to the film score. Or see if one day you can watch The Seahawk, mm-hmm. 1940 with Earl Flynn. Great, great uh, theme music. I remember when I first put the movie on and I hit play, how powerful the initial music was yes, at yes. the beginning. The, over the credits, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, how dramatic it was, and that sort of sets you up, sets you up for the movie. The only, the only line in the movie that kind of I didn't like was when uh, Claude Rains was talking to Robert Cummings, who plays Paris Mitchell, and he was telling him about, well, what, uh, what kind of doctor do you want to be? Do you want to be a country quack? Or do you want to be somebody respected? Now, I, 
I, I didn't like that line because the, he was criticizing country doctors. I mean, and, mm. and not talking about the sadistic doctor that was right. in the movie, but there were plenty of country doctors who visited their patients in the, in the horse and buggies in those days and did what they could to help people mm-hmm. who were good doctors. Now, that's kind of, uh, that line kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I guess it fit with his character, though. Yeah. It was also shocking when he stopped looked at the camera and said, you should check out halfdoubledesign.com. And he winked and he said, not your granny's crochet. If you're looking for a new scarf, winter hat, blanket, tie, beanies, or just about anything that can be crocheted together in the highest of quality, look no further than Half Double Design. Amanda's waiting to hear from you and you won't regret it. Check out halfdoubledesign.com. The other line, the line that I love that I uh, remembered at the very end of the movie I think Paris said it to Drake right before he gave him the news. He said, some people grow up and some people just grow older. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a very, very poetic line mm-hmm. that cut right to the core of what it they did. were, what they were about to talk about. It did. Yeah. The other line I remember, or the other scene specifically that was very, that felt very dated was uh, when Randy uh, found out when before Drake lost his legs, I think he got he got drunk and got into a fight at the bar or something because he was like low on money. So she told him to go upstairs. I'll make you some dinner. I'll get you some hot water. And she goes start getting the coffee together. And her dad comes over and says, "You know, when you were a tomboy as a kid, I was very worried about how you turn out. But it turns out you just you're just fine. <laughs> like right. like she couldn't have." Yeah. <laughs> become a yeah. tomboy as an adult or mm-hmm. but that she's become a doting doting wife he's very pleased with how things came out right <laughs> now, now ronald reagan before this movie he was in a lot of like almost like b-type films for warner brothers the kind that would play uh on the uh Bottom part of a double bill, double feature, which mm-hmm. said double features. They had a lot in those days. And this movie was like a star-making part for him. And Warner Brothers said, hey, you know what? We have to take a second look at this fella here. Uh, we have to start looking for more properties, more dramatic f- films that have some quality to them. And he was on the verge of getting like the ho- the Hollywood buildup. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, and World War II was uh, really starting then, and he decided to uh, join up. And I think he might have been away for three years. And when he came back, his career never regained that momentum that he had back in 1942. He was still under contract to Warner Brothers, and he did get some decent parts in films all the way up until, I guess, 19... I guess his contract ended around 1952. But never he never gained the what you call the upper echelon of stardom. Right. Like you would have, like say Clark Gable or Jimmy mm-hmm. Stewart, uh, got people, Cary Grant, people like that. I didn't realize it was him 
when the movie when he first appeared. I was wondering really? when, you didn't know when Ronald Reagan's going to show up. That the future president of the United States. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't realize that it was the Drake character. Uh-huh. I remember the. I did look up on the Wikipedia, uh, which pales in comparison to the, your overall knowledge of the film, but how famous the line where he yells out, where's the rest of me? Yes. Where he finds out that his yeah. legs are gone. Randy! 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 Where's the rest of me? Yeah, that's one of the classic lines of uh, film history. They said that, I don't know if this is true or not, but they said that he was very nervous about that scene because he didn't really think of himself as a great actor. Mm -hmm. And they filmed it. He'd been practicing it. And he said it once. And I think he called for Randy, who evidently that wasn't in the script, but Randy, the the actress, was there. So she came over anyway to help him. And they felt that that one take was good enough, and that's the one that's in the movie. So I think they only filmed it once. Like I said earlier... I usually watch it about, you know, Turner Classic Movies usually plays it like once a year, whatever. And if I see it's on, uh, I'll watch it. <laughs> and then mom will see that I'm sitting watching it. She's, that'll drive her crazy. Oh, no, not again. Not again. <laughs> Do you still have it on VHS somewhere? No, believe it or not, I never had it on VHS or DVD. Really? Because ever since we got uh, Turner, uh, Turner Classic Movies, I knew that eventually it would be coming on. Hmm. You know, so I figured, well, I'll just tape it and watch it. How many bl- how many VHS tapes do you have in your possession these days? Because <sighs> that used to be your go-to yeah. method. Well, I've gotten rid of a lot of the uh, VHS tapes. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, I guess I've gotten rid of... Uh, well, when I say I got rid of them... I I had stuff that I taped right off the TV mm-hmm. on a blank tape, and I taped the movie. So I got yeah. rid of a lot of that stuff. And I also bought a lot of VHS tapes, which I've donated to uh, some of the charities that take. They still take. Mm. Uh, there's a charity. It's, uh, I think it's a Mennonite community charity. They take, uh, it's called Care and Share Shop. Uh, they say we take VHS tapes because a lot of people, a lot of charities won't even, they don't even want VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. They want the DVDs. Yeah. I'm looking in your um, cupboard and I see some VHS cases that look like they're from 1990. Yeah. They look pretty old. Yeah. They, yeah. I still, uh, uh, some I couldn't part with. You know, I would watch, I would, uh, the stuff I wanted to donate, I would watch one more time, then I would donate it. What's one of the VHS tapes that you won't part with? Uh, Harvey. I don't think I've ever seen that. Jimmy Stewart, 1950. Is that the one with the cover with a ra- shadow of a rabbit? That's where he has an imaginary rabbit called uh, Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> now, it sounds ridiculous, but he pulls it off. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart plays a character. His name is Elwood P. Dowd. <laughs> Sounds like one of my names. Right. But it's a classic Jimmy Stewart film. And uh, people, th- of course, think he's crazy because the rabbit is supposed to be six foot tall. Mm-hmm. And the psychiatrist <laughs> who's treating him, eventually he starts seeing Harvey himself. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I have that. I have the Harvey and uh, a movie called The Man in the Gray Flannel Suit with Gregory Peck, 1956. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite films. It's on VHS because I, I don't need, I don't know if uh, it's available on DVD. Stuff that I'm not sure of whether I'll ever tape or see on DVD, I hold on to VHS. After the episode, the first episode recorded, a bunch of people reached out, and they uh, one of them, my friends said that uh, that their dad also said bedtime for Bonzo. Oh uh, yeah, were, yeah, they were wondering where it came from. <laughs> yes, that's that's one of the later ones he did, which is actually a good comedy. Yeah, I mean the this the highbrow critics always uh, throw that in Ronald. They used to throw it in Ronald Reagan's face. I said, like you you were never a big actor because you made movies like Bedtime for Bonzo. Hmm. But actually, anybody who's seen it uh, enjoys it. Add it to my list. <laughs> Trying to find some other. Uh, uh, some people had said that they could have listened to your dad drop knowledge for hours. He's a natural. Really? Yeah, yeah they said that about you. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Um, <laughs> there was one, uh, really enjoyed the episode. I wonder if your dad meant Mencken and Ashman regarding the songwriting duo. Cause I remember you were talking about the Disney oh, writing yes, team. Yes. They wrote a lot of Disney songs and ones in my favorite musical, Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, that, I, I didn't even know they wrote that. Neither did I. Um, another friend of mine said, uh, the podcast with your father might be one of the best things I've heard in a very long time. I just want to sit and talk with him forever. No kidding. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> So I asked uh, if anyone had any questions for you, and some. let me see if I can find, if you could have dinner with any actor, actress, director, or producer, who and why? Oh, gosh. Probably Earl Flynn, mm-hmm. because not only because of the great films, that adventure films that he made, but also he had a fascinating personal life. Which I would like to talk to him about. <laughs> oh yeah, have you? Did he? Did, was there a biography that was done about him? Have you read that? Oh yeah, there, yeah. there's been about three, and he even wrote one about his own life. Hmm. Uh, co- it was called "Too Much Too Soon." He was uh, a hard uh, a woman, uh, one of the great womanizers in Hollywood. <laughs> right. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, and he. Uh, he of course, uh, uh, he uh, he had a personal life. He had a boat that he had a lot of adventures with because he traveled a lot on his boat. And he went to all these exotic places and countries and met all kinds of fascinating people. So I think I would like to I would have liked to talk to him. Yeah. Just either getting rid of or they already did. I think last year was the last time for that Hollywood uh, ride in Disney. Remember the. Uh Oh yeah, well you you see the Wizard of Oz like yeah, and all uh, the movie and like Alien was there yeah. like a Ripley and stuff. That was pretty outdated, but it was it was fun. I remember uh, Universal Studios and the King Kong uh, uh, ride. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Do you, I remember. Did you ever that? I remember we went to Florida when I was like six or seven or something. And I remember looking through the photographs, like the, we would take the photos and put them in a book, in a photo book and page through them. But I remember seeing photos of that. Mm-hmm. that there's a, a there's a one. new one there now. Universal is pretty fun now. Oh yeah. We, I think we liked it more than Disney this year. Do you me- I, I remember seeing the um, Indiana Jones exi- uh, show. Oh, yeah, that's in Disney. And then like, what was it about 
10 years ago, the, the actor who was playing Indiana Jones in this exhibit, he was killed. Really? I don't remember During that. the show. I never heard that. Yeah. I think, just, I think you dreamed that. No, 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 you can, uh, no, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure it happened. Yeah, hmm. it was some, because, you know, he did, uh, the actor is required to do he some does stunts. stunts, yeah. In the middle of one of his stunts, something went wrong and he was killed. I always thought the plot of that show doesn't make any sense in modern times because they talk to the audience as if they're filming Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. They've been doing the stage show for 40 years almost. Yeah. It sounds like they're in hell. Mm -hmm. uh, what is your favorite snack at the movies? Have you ever snuck food into the movies? Yeah. I guess uh, either the uh, Three Musketeers bar or the, uh, what's that candy bar? Hunter Grand. Uh, that's Milky, a Milky Way Dark. Oh. Milky Way Dark Midnight Candy Bar is called. Dark chocolate, huh? Yeah. That's that that I guess that would be two of my favorites. I can't stand dark chocolate. <laughs> uh what's your favorite Dwayne Johnson the Rock movie? Oh, the one we saw uh fairly recently. Rampage? Uh, or no, Jumanji? No, uh, Jumanji. Now I didn't like the original Jumanji with Robin Williams. I guess I'm one of the few people that didn't like that. So I was skeptical when we went to see this, but we took a chance and uh we enjoyed it. Mm. We enjoyed. We thought it was funny. It had some good adventure scenes, and uh, the three people on it was Dwayne and Kevin Hart, Jack Black, Jack Black, and the girl. The girl was good. So they all they all seemed to come together pretty well in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I find, and after we saw it, I, I learned that the thing because of uh, word of mouth, people talking it up, it became a big box office hit. Yeah. And I think it was still playing in the theaters up until uh, f a few uh, weeks ago. Karen Gillan. Oh, That's okay. her name. Yeah, it's a, it was a hit for him. Yes, it was. Big hit. I think it might have been his biggest hit. Mm. He hasn't had a very, like, he hasn't had a great movie yet, I don't no, think. No, but he's, uh, he's been popular at the box office. Mm -hmm. And they said that he, one year... I think uh, might have been two years ago. He made sixty million dollars in one year uh, from his movies and his investments and the different businesses that he has. He cleared sixty million dollars. You know, his ex-wife is his business manager. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. What was I like as a kid? Uh, well, first of all, you were very cute. Because <laughs> you had big, curly hair. Yeah, curly blonde yeah. hair. Yeah, and very lovable child. Quiet, uh, not quiet. I guess on the quiet side, mm. you weren't too uh, talkative, too rambunctious. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was just uh, I don't know. You, you like you were very pleasant most of the time. You paid attention <laughs> <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. There's another question. If, a, if an actor or director ever says something controversial in real life, did it change the way you viewed their work? Mel Gibson, for example. Hmm. Yeah, well, Mel, Mel Gibson is a good uh, good uh, uh, thing to compare with. Yeah. But uh, I saw that movie that he directed. And, Passion of the Christ? 
or the one after? Yeah, the 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 Christ uh, about Christ, mm-hmm. the Passion of Christ. And I saw that movie, and I was really impressed with it. I said, "Man, he directed this thing! Wow, really impressed." Did you ever see it? Yeah, I saw it in theaters. Yeah, a great piece of work, and I considered him a visionary, really. Because when he came up with the idea of making that movie, and he went to all the major studios and said, no, we uh, we can't back you on this. We can't invest in this movie because I don't think it'll make a dime, especially the way the climate is in our society at that time. So he wound up, I think he hocked a lot of the stuff he had and used his own money and uh, went to a couple of people to get some financing. And he told the actors in he, the actors that he wanted to play these parts. He said, I can't, I don't have enough money to pay you, but I'll, you have a, I'll give you a certain percentage mm. of the profits from this film. And all of them agreed to do it. They they did it without salary and just relied, took a gamble that this movie would make money and they would get something out of the uh, profits, like a percentage. Well, as you know, the movie became skyrocketed, became a tremendous blockbuster. I think at the time it was the highest grossing R-rated movie. Yeah. yeah. And the actors like uh, Jim Caviezel, he played the, the uh, Christ in the movie and a couple of the lady actors who were in it. I mean, they made enough money to, re- to retire. Yeah. Really? I think Jim Caviezel probably would have done it for free anyway because I think he's a devout Catholic. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. So, and so I thought to myself, look at this guy. He had the courage to gamble to do this. So not only is he a great talent, but he's a great visionary. He's a visionary like Walt Disney was a visionary. But, you know, but then the things happened where (laughs) uh, he left his family. You know, at the time he was still married and had a lot of children and and he still had a pretty good reputation. But then he started acting weird. So I just that doesn't take away my admiration for him as an artist, because uh, some artists are just plain weird. (laughs) Even though they have this tremendous talent, you know, mm-hmm. right? So he's just just another weirdo who's uh, who I I think is a great artist. Have you seen the new Star Wars movie yet? No, man. No, I can't keep up with the Star Wars. <laughs> There's too many of them. Did you saw? And now there's going to be a TV series, yeah. right, uh, on Star Wars. There's and they're going to be a new trilogy. I know. It's going to be an animated oh, show. Uh, yeah, it's a solo movie. I, I have too many other interests to, 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 to keep up with Star Wars. I tried to keep up with them. Uh, I, saw, I guess I saw everyone except the, this last one. What's Did, it called? The Last, the last Jedi. Jedi. Did you see uh, Force Awakens? I think you saw that, right? Yeah. yeah. Did you like that one? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought it was good. I'm surprised Harrison Ford had a, as big a part as he did in it. I thought it would be like a cameo, but he had a nice part in it. He had a big role in the new Blade Runner, too. Yeah, he did, but the Blade Runner didn't do well. No, at the box office. Yeah, beautiful movie though. Good movie. Beautiful looking. Yeah, 
Yeah, very artsy, mm-hmm. but didn't didn't make a lot of money. No, it was surprising because the Blade Runner, the original, has developed a reputation the, uh, as a cult movie. I guess the cult following of Blade Runner just isn't enough to bankroll a $300 movie. What else have you seen lately? Well, uh, since mom's been away to Cal- in California, I have free reign on the TV. On the TV, so I've been catching up with a lot of movies. I've been catching up, as you know, I like Roy Rogers westerns. Mm. So I've been rewatching some of my uh, Roy Rogers stuff. And I watched uh, Kirk Douglas in a movie called Young Man with a Horn with Doris Day, where he played the life of a real jazz uh, trumpet player. And uh, I I rewatched that. I thought that was really well done. I watched the movie with John Garfield. He was a popular actor back in the 1940s called The Breaking Point, mm. based on an Ernest Hemingway novel. I enjoyed that. Is Doris Day is your favorite actress, I think, right? Or one She's of? She's one of them, yeah. She is, it's I a picture she, of her in the bathroom, right? Isn't oh, that no, no, that's... Uh, she's <laughs> The three pictures in the bathroom are uh, <laughs> Joan Collins, the black... Because, you know, that's Meg's idea. She wanted to put movie star pictures in the in the new bathroom. So mm-hmm. she asked me if, if I had any 8 by 10 glossies, which mm-hmm. I did have. But that, that's... Joan Collins is one... Then there was one called Linda Sterling. She was called the queen of the B-movies and the movie serials. You know, the chapters they used to show like once a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Usually there were 15 parts to them. And then the other one is a popular actress from the 1950s, Barbara Rush. Do you have have you liked any of the modern Western movies? I'm trying to think of some of them. Like 310 to Yuma. I was reading about one with Christian Bale. Mm. that he made called Hostels. Yeah, I think I saw a poster for it. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't think it was too successful. No. Because it's, uh, it's going to be out on DVD. I'd like to check that out. What about 310 to Yuma? He was in that I, one too, yeah, I think. Yeah, I saw that. I, in fact, I, have the D, I had the DVD, which I donated. How about Unforgiven? Clint Eastwood. He's another um, yeah. uh, polarizing figure outside mm-hmm. of movies now. Yeah. Unforgiven was good, yeah, and I think he got the Academy Award for director mm-hmm. on that. Excuse me, I wonder how long he's going to uh, keep on directing, because he must be like 90 uh, years old. Like 100, now, 120 years old, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how he directs movies at this point. <laughs> Could you imagine yourself directing a movie? No. No, I mean, if I, I, I would have liked to have been a successful actor or a singer. Really? Yeah. But uh, there's still time. No, no, no. But once you get into that lifestyle, I don't know if I'd be happy in that kind of. It, it, say I became a successful actor or singer. Uh, yeah, that's a very hectic kind of lifestyle, and you, it's very hard to have a family life. Mm-hmm. I uh, the best thing about my life was being uh, had. I had a job or. Uh, I worked eight hours a day, sometimes overtime, but I would come home, be with my family, and never think about work. And I I didn't have any entourage. Or, uh, 
You didn't have a boat like Pe- Errol Flynn? People around me, I wasn't subjected to a lot of temptation. And uh, I, I, all I want to do is go home. And I, I'm, I'm a homebody. Mm-hmm. And be with my wife and family, which were the best thing that ever happened to my life. Another episode of Link in Bio in the books. Thanks for listening. If you liked it, maybe tweet out a link. Maybe Facebook message someone. Maybe call up your cousin on the telephone and say you liked it and that they should listen. You know? Maybe leave a review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever they call it now. If you didn't like it, well, you can't win them all, right? Goodbye. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I have to laugh about when I think about those. The first Taken, his wife was a bitch <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> I've never seen Taken. Yeah, I, and then there was the second Taken. I think a, a remake, a continuation of uh, Taken Two where his wife is kidnapped and he and he he goes through hell to try to get his wife and I thought to myself why are you doing this you ought to be glad you're you're rid of her why are you why are you trying to find her 